Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman. Really excited to have on Molly Wardak with the uh, Detroit Red Wings, Tigers, and Olympia Entertainment. She's their VP of Partnership Activation. And Molly is also an Ohio U Bobcat, proud, uh, proud OU family alum, and extremely excited to talk about kind of the partnership activation world, her path, and everything that she's learned along the way. So Molly, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks, Jake. I really appreciate it and uh, excited to be on with you today. Absolutely. And well, let's just dive into kind of how you got to where you are now. Uh, obviously, you've, you've got some responsibility, per se, uh, with, with quite a few teams and, and the entertainment group. So um, what has been the buildup to, to us or to this so far? Yeah, so um, I'm actually a, a, I'll call it a triple bobcat. So I did my undergraduate. Those are rare. Those are <laughs> yeah. rare. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, <laughs> I spent uh, six years there. I did my undergraduate work there and then was uh, fortunate enough to go on and uh, be a member of the MBA and MSA program there. Um, coming out of the program, I got really my first opportunity in sports working for the Miami Dolphins, working for another um, OU grad, Jennifer Sergalski. Um, really, really um, fantastic individual and uh, who has ultimately become a mentor of mine. And um, she really gave me my start in partnerships. Um, so I was brought in there um, to, you know, help on the partnership activation side of the business. It was really my first foray, um, into the industry and, um, was fortunate to learn from people like her, Mike Mossholder, um, Chris Overholt. Um, so a number of really fantastic individuals. I spent about a year there and, um, at the time my, my now husband and I were getting, were getting ready to get married and, he was, um, he's a physician by practice and was matching for his residency program up in Michigan. And so we were going to be moving up here, um, which is where we obviously are still today. Um, and so I had an opportunity at the time to join the Red Wings. I started out my time here um, with the Red Wings organization, specifically on the Red Wings side, um, on, in the ticketing side of the business. And so I was brought in to start a ticket service and retention team, which at the time, which was, you know, 12 and a half years ago, was fairly new to the business at the time. And although it wasn't where my ultimate path, you know, you know, where I saw myself, which was on the partnership side of the business, I learned so much, uh, really having that opportunity in ticketing to understand the bread and butter of every organization. Um, so I, I was brought in, like I said, to start the ticket service and retention department. Um, and then over the course of my 12 years there, I've been really blessed that I've been given a number of opportunities to uh, lead different departments, whether that be ticketing, uh, community relations and foundation, um, our guest experience team, uh, our heritage team, and and ultimately for the longest period of time there has, has really been the partnership activation side of the business. Um, so I think being able to have my hands in so many facets of the of the organization has really helped me understand holistically how we operate and I think has made me a better leader on the partnership activation side because I know the other areas of our business um, fairly well. Um, 
so then about, oh, I'll call it 14 months ago, our organization went under, uh, went through a pretty significant change where uh, we were kind of, this has been probably a, a two and a half year process where we have been bringing together the Red Wings and the Tigers um, under one umbrella. So we have always been owned by the same owner, uh, the Illich family, um, but we've operated pretty independently of one another up until about the last two years. And so about 12, 14 months ago was when we kind of put the finishing touches on bringing the business units together. And it was at that time that I had the opportunity to oversee partnership activation holistically for our business. Um, so that's that brings me to today, and um, and it's it's been a it's been a great opportunity to work for an organization for as long as I have. I've learned a, a number of different things and been a part of some really amazing experiences from the Winter Classic uh, to opening Little Caesars Arena. Um, so I feel really fortunate. And, and with all that, I mean, partnerships, to some extent, touches all the different areas that you worked in prior as well, right? I mean, it touches the ticket side, it touches the community side, um, and ultimately, partnerships are, are spread throughout the organization one way or another, depending on the client. Um, what is the biggest thing you, you've learned in terms of now being able to be in that partnership seat where you do touch all the different departments around you and, and you're able to know kind of whoever you're working with, you were in that seat to some extent at one point or another. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I always say that we cannot do anything in partnerships without the help, the buy-in, uh, you know, the, the oversight, uh, the input of all of these other departments. Um, and so being able to understand how they work, and I certainly, I will never claim to be an expert in, in any or all of those areas, but um um, but just to have an inkling into into how they operate, um, what's important to those you know different verticals of our business has helped us and helped me be able to um, refine you know new concepts, new partner initiatives. So when I go to those departments, I, I sort of put my my departmental hat on. So when we're putting together a program on the community relations side, it's important that I wear my community relations hat while I'm also wearing my partnership hat. That's that's been um, really really helpful. Yeah, and and in theory, you've got partnerships externally, right, with the people who are paying a, a good chunk of money um, from a revenue standpoint, but also the partnerships internally, right? Like you've got to form your own partnerships internally to make things work. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And you know, I would I would argue that sometimes those internal relationships are are even more important than the external ones because if if those relationships aren't forged internally, those people aren't going to work on your behalf, and we can't ultimately deliver uh, the contractual assets for partners if we don't have buy in from the internal stakeholders. No doubt, no doubt. So when you look at you know partnership activation as a whole. Uh, let's say you're a novice, let's say you don't understand partnerships yet, and you're wondering, okay, activation, what does that mean? Um, obviously, someone's got to sell it, right? And then someone activates it. And uh, you and I both know that the that each organization is set up much differently from another in that, you know, maybe one person uh, in one organization sells it and activates it, maybe they're separate, um, maybe they are somewhat of the same, the process is different uh, across a lot of different uh, types of organizations and structures. So can you give kind of a brief overview of how that setup um, 
generally is is set up and then also kind of what are the the main differences that you look at yeah so i think your point is a good one and that different um organizations set these things up differently and so um to your point i think most commonly there is a a sales team to your point that is out generating new business um, you know, potentially working on on renewals, but maybe not. Sometimes that does push to the activation side of the business. And then you have an activation um, team. And, you know, uh, one of the things that has always been like my my big pet peeve is how people approach and look at this side of our business. Um, I think so many people refer to this as the service team. And I think when there's this connotation that with service that that this team is like a they're they're paper pushers almost they're they're check the box type of people okay I need to do A B C and D check the box and I really try to foster an environment where we we don't even use the word service we use the word activation and um, I think when we do that we elevate the level um, of um, of thinking that we bring to the table, both internally and externally for our clients. And what it allows us to do is it allows us um, to our partners to have confidence in us that we are their brand strategist when it comes to the team side of the business. We really focus on ensuring that we know everything about their brand that we can, you know, we use them as the experts, but that we are constantly bringing new ideas and concepts to them um, and that, you know, we're always focused on their KPIs. Uh, and so what that does, just sort of bringing it back full circle of structure, is it allows sellers to be very focused on new business and out and selling and finding the next dollar. And it ensures that our activation team, while the sellers are still always involved in the relationship, they foster, they cultivate that relationship and ultimately that's where I think is sort of the next level of activation then they can ultimately be responsible for renewing because they work with the clients on a day-to-day basis they know the ins and outs of their business better than anybody Um, and they're also then there for upselling and um, and that's the type of of um, structure that we've sort of created at, Olymp- at Olympia Entertainment, and uh, we believe that it's it's working well. It's always a, a work in progress when you talk about structure, but um, we believe that it's it's been successful thus far. Well, and the structure set from a philosophy and leadership perspective, and obviously those things can change when people move in and out. But you know, when you talk about um, not just having a check the box person, right? It, I think it's so important and crucial to understand um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like the, the, the activation um, people have to have their, their sales hat on all the, all the time, right? Like they've got to understand a, what is sold. Right. And we'll, we'll get into that of, of making sure, you know, the sell, the seller understands what they're selling so that, that the activator can actually activate it properly right and and be able to return on the investment that um the seller promised right but then also the the piece of you know the upsells or the renewals and and putting your hat your brand hat on and trying to understand what's best for the brand as well as operating what's best for the team as well right there's a lot of different complexities that maybe people don't think about can you touch on a couple of those uh that you're you know you're like you said it's a constant work in progress 
Yeah, you know, I, I think it's 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 very it's very true, and um, I think this uh, activation folks really need to be outside of the box thinkers, and they need to be, um, you know, as you alluded to, they need to wear their brand hat. They we look at them as, as sort of an agency, right, an internal agency for these clients, and. Um, how and what are the new ideas that we can continuously bring to the table to uh, continue to elevate the brand in the market? Um, I'll, I'll give you a, a example um, on the Red Wing side of the business. Our healthcare partner, one of our healthcare partners, is St. Joseph Mercy, Mercy Health Systems, and um, they, you know, when you talk about checking the box, one of their contractual assets is they are the owner of this Healthy Hockey Town platform, right? And so has this really great connotation and, and seems really well in theory, but unless we are able to go out and, and build around what healthy hockey town means, it doesn't matter whether or not we've checked the box because we haven't created, um, you know, an, an awareness of what that means within the market. So the activation manager on that account has um, been really creative in thinking and, you know, none of these are, you know, you know, re totally reinventing the wheel, but putting on yoga sessions and they participate in our 5k. And, um, we have done, we just, uh, before, unfortunately we, we were in, uh, in a stay at home order. We executed, uh, two sessions, uh, two healthy cooking classes with our team dietitian and our team chef. Um, so just continuing to find ways to be creative um, and build credibility around that slogan, I guess you could call it around that brand, um, is, is what we continue to look for um, from our partnership activation members. And, you know, you talked to, you touched on the creativity side, you touched on, you know, kind of wearing the different hats and being flexible and, and understanding, you know, the, the objectives of the client how describe a little bit the process of, of the salesperson and the activation person and when the activation person is maybe included in the sales process or not and kind of how that that fluidity works throughout the sales process in the sense of making sure that you can fulfill um, what is being sold and promised. Sure. Uh, definitely another sort of structural piece that definitely varies from organization to organization. But one of the, uh, the process that we've implemented at Olympia that I, I really think um, is, is very beneficial is the activation manager is involved uh, kind of, in, I'll call it step two of the process. So our sellers are out, you know, prospecting new business. Once they've had that initial discovery call and they believe that they're, you know, this could potentially have legs to move forward, the next step is that an activation manager is assigned to the prospect. And then the seller and the activation manager work together to ultimately formulate concepts that they will take back to the potential partner. So that way, I think it's important for two reasons. One you touched on, and that is that um, the activation, that what is out there being sold can actually be executed on the back end. It's, <laughs> it's always this constant struggle, right? Um, so that's really yep. important. And then I think the second important thing is from a client perspective, um, if you don't have the activation manager involved from the beginning, um, we all know the life cycle, the sales cycle um, of a partnership sale is, is significantly longer than, say, a, a ticket sales transaction. 
So um, the, the prospect gets really comfortable with a seller and the, um, the sale could take two, three, four, even longer months. And so if we were, if we bring in an activation person, once the deal is already signed, I think that there's a little bit of this disconnect and then there's this, um, I'll call it a little bit of, a, of another ramp up that needs to take place for the client to ultimately then become comfortable with the activation manager. And so we feel strongly that if the activation and the sales manager are lock and step from the beginning, the client understands the structure, the client understands who goes, who they go to whom for what, and ultimately there's no ramp up needed as far as getting to know folks once the deal is signed, they're very comfortable, they're off and running. And there's, there's so many more steps along the process as well. I mean, you mentioned step two in the sales process, but then like, let's fast forward to step 10, where you might be working with, you know, your concessionaire or your facilities person to make sure that a sign is the right way or, um, you know, something's installed correctly. I mean, there's a lot of different people you're working with um, because partnerships can vary. I mean, they, they're not just the sign. They're not just something on social or digital um, or, you know, the concessionaire in the ballpark or the arena. I mean, they, talk about, you know, how some partnerships can be a lot bigger and how a lot of things from, you know, year, you know, January to December that they kind of all need to align and how some are maybe a little bit more focused on a month to month basis or specific part of the season. Yes, I think overarching, it comes back to these internal relationships we talked about initially, right? And making sure that before we go out and we sell something that we're having those internal conversations with those stakeholders to make sure that they're bought in from the front end um, of the process. And that makes ultimately executing things on the back end significantly easier. Um, and you're right, the the partnerships vary from you know, a smaller deal that may only be a, a month long of execution to, um, you know, a multi-year, multi-million dollar deal. Um, I think we try to approach all of these, though, um, with the same, the same hat, and that's that every partner um, is valuable to us in a different way. Um, you know, uh, those that spend a ton of money with us are, are, of course, very valuable to us. And, and they're, you know, but we try not to um, look at them and say, oh, well, that partner only spends X amount of money. So we're not going to do this, this and this for them. I think we really try to have this like collective approach to partnerships. Um, and, and I think one of the things that we pride ourselves on is once the deal is inked, we're not set in stone with every single one of those assets moving forward. Uh, we really look to ensure that there's a lot of flexibility around our partnerships and which is why when it comes to constant communication with partners and year end recaps with partners that they feel comfortable enough with us to say, Hey, this isn't working for me, or this isn't a, um, this isn't an objective for my brand moving forward. So I need to change out these assets. Okay, no problem. We get it, um, and and we work together to find what some replacement assets may be moving forward. Um, so I think that's really important that there's that flexibility there from from year to year, from month to month, whatever it might be. Well, and typically having that also that understanding of 
you know, not everything's going to be super successful in year one, right? Like if, if you try something in year one and it doesn't work, maybe you try something different in year two or you give it two years to see if it works. Right. And, and um, having that, that understanding and patience to, um, you know, try different things and, and make sure it does work. Now, as you, you know, we're alluding to processes change, you know, different philosophies, how, I mean, you've been in the business for a while now, how have things changed uh, over time, especially with technology, but also just how partners and brands are evolving as well. I mean, there's got, there's had to have been a lot of adaptation and, and learning along the way. Yeah, there, I mean, there definitely has, um, you know, I think the, probably the most obvious one is, is we've moved well to your point that you mentioned earlier about, you know, there's still always going to be a sign to sell. Um, we've shifted pretty significantly from what I would call spots and dots to more of a, of a digital approach. Um, and I think, you know, that's been really important for brands because it's much more measurable. And um, so that shift to digital is, is definitely one. Um, I think that there is a greater emphasis now more than ever for clubs, teams, to be able to figure out a way to deliver back the ROI that partners are receiving um, on their investment. Um, it's, it, it, you know, I think before where like there were a lot of brands out there who had these really big marketing budgets and it was cool to be in sports marketing. Like there's definitely still that cachet factor, but like clubs can't get away anymore with, with just, you know, checking the boxes. We have to ensure that we are showing brands how we're delivering um, on, on ROI um, and also ROO. So the return on objective, um, I think that's really important when we look at um uh, specific campaigns that are out there and things that we're doing for partners. Uh, sometimes the ROI is hard to tell. It's hard to communicate that back and, and to measure that. But if we are meeting the objective of a partner for a particular campaign, um, that that goes a long way. And I think that's another shift that also that we have seen um, over the last so many years is, is the emphasis there as well um, and ensuring that we're reporting back those metrics um, for whether it be a specific campaign and or, or and or year long campaign. I love the ROO and it's, there's so many acronyms in sports business just as a whole, right? It's like you mentioned KPI, you mentioned ROI, ROO. I mean, you know, Andy, Andy will go on and on about the different titles, but there's also so many different acronyms and things that we use in the business. Um, you know, what are, are there, are there one or two outside of the ones you, you just mentioned that are kind of consistent throughout the partnership side of things? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I mean, those are three really big ones that we focus a lot on. Um, wow, you've stumped me, Jake. I, I <laughs> Those are three really big ones. I guess I could probably sit down and, and think about it a little bit more. But off the top of my head right now, those are the, those are the three I can come up with. Well, I couldn't think of any other, so I was just seeing <laughs> if you had any. Uh, but, you know, as, as <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes you, you hit them out of the park, sometimes you swing and miss, you but um, you always you always get another pitch. So we'll, we'll, we'll hit you with the question of, you know, as, as you think back to your time in Athens as a triple bobcat and, 
um, you fast forward to now, like what is one of the, what is the one or two pieces of advice you'd give to yourself then if you, you know, A, knew what you know now, and then also uh, as the landscape has shifted a bunch, uh, if someone was in your seat or, you know, your seat and shoes now, what would you tell them? Um, I'd say the, the two pieces of advice, one that, um, I did not do when I was, um, at Ohio, uh, I think it was because there, there weren't really many options is I would say anybody who is coming out, take a sales class. Like you have to have sales under your belt, every single facet of the sports business. It doesn't matter whether you're actually, uh, you know, you have sales in your title and you're selling partnerships or you're selling tickets or, um, or you're not, or you're in community relations. Sales is a function of every single part of our business. And to have the baseline knowledge of selling within our industry, or even just business selling in general, um, I think is really, really important. And I think anybody who can get in and get an initial um, opportunity in sales, albeit it may not be your um, you know, where you see yourself long-term, you will learn so much about the business. Um, by being in sales, you will learn so much about yourself, about what you're able to do, how you're able to push yourself out of your comfort zone um, by, by having a stab and taking a stab at, at an opportunity like that. So um, I, I think that's one that, again, like I said, I, I did not take advantage of and I regret not taking advantage of. Um, but the second piece of, I guess, advice I would, I would give that I really continue to pride myself on is relationships, relationships, relationships. And I think it's something that we hear so much coming from our Bobcat family is, um, is the power of the network. Um, but the power of the network only goes so far if you're not focused on cultivating relationships with people. And um, I realized the importance of that when I was at Ohio, the people that were in my, my graduating MSA class are some of my closest and best friends as I sit here today. And they will always be some of my best friends. They are people that I can call, um, you know, when I need professional advice, when I need personal advice, um, whatever it might be. And I think that fostering of relationships has translated into the, into the business side of my life. And um, I, I put such an emphasis on relationships with my clients. Um, it's, it's a business relationship first and foremost, but I also try to get to the, to the personal side of it and try to forge relationships with um, my partners in on another level, it's beyond just the checks that they cut and the assets we deliver. Um, it's, it's who they are. It's who their family is. It's, um, you know, what do they like to do on the weekends? How do they spend their time? Um, and so, you know, that's, a, I guess, a long-winded answer to your question. But um, I think relationship and relationship building and cultivating relationships is, is just a really strong piece of advice I would give. No, that's fantastic. And, and it continues to evolve, you know, one, one person leads to another, which leads to another. And, and uh, as we close out the episode, I, I will ask, uh, you mentioned family and, and we were reminiscing uh, earlier and uh, before we hopped on about, you know, you've got uh, two kids now and, and you're able to spend a lot more time during this, during this time. But I mean, how do you balance it all? I mean, what, I mean, in terms of just uh, being able to balance family relationships, work, I mean, friends, I mean, there's just, there's, there is so much to go on 
um, in a, in a day of 24 hours, right? How do you balance it all? Yeah, I would, I would not maybe refer to it as a balance because there's definitely not a balance. I would maybe refer to it as a juggling act because when there's one ball high in the air and needs to take priority, the other ones are going to suffer. And that's just unfortunately a reality of the business that we're in. Um, but I think what's important is to understand that whatever goes up must come down. And so when, um, you know, I may need to work till seven or eight o'clock at night and it may be unfortunate because I don't get as much time that evening with, um, my kids or my husband that, you know, the next day I'm, I may cut out of work at three o'clock because it's important that I get that time with my family and that, that neither one of those things, my professional or my personal life have to suffer. It's just, it's just a juggling act and figuring out from day to day what may need to take priority. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, it's important that you surround yourself with not only family and family members that value what you do and support you in what you do, but that you also work for an organization and you have, you know, boss and, and coworkers that also um, believe in that and believe in work-life, I'll call it work-life balance, work-life juggling. Um, because if, if they don't, you're, you're never going to have that balance in your life. And so I feel fortunate that I've had um, a number of, of um, bosses and coworkers and certainly that my husband supports me in my career. And, and I think that's the only way that we can ultimately get it done at the end of the day. Well, you couldn't have said it any better. You hit that one out of the park. So not not to use not to use a cheesy, you know, reference sports reference. But um, Molly, really appreciate the time. Uh, certainly uh, looking forward to uh, definitely getting you on here again uh, in the in the future. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds great, Jake. I appreciate it. I look forward to it. And uh, be safe. Be well.